Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Fresh from the Hill Young Alumni Series uh, hosted by Cornell Young Alumni. I am Armand Sadler, Class 2017 Communication Major from CALS. Now, normally I would ask my co-host Nick Early how he is doing. However, he is on a quest, aka he is busy with work meetings, so he could not join me today, but it's okay. I'm going to hold it down, and I'm extremely excited for the guests that I have here today. Now, this person, this man, Cornell University 2008 graduate, bachelor's degree in hospitality management and administration. He is a Wharton Business School 2015 MBA recipient. Throughout his career, he's been a co-founder of Modern Land, president of Project X, advisor of Propertiva. And two years ago, this man founded Cover, an online financial services provider customized for gig economy workers, including but not limited to Uber and DoorDash drivers. We're gonna get into it all, but ladies and gentlemen, I wanna introduce you to Kabana Ansa. Kabana, how you feeling, man? Feeling great. It's a pleasure to speak with you this morning, Armand. Thanks for, for having me. And that was an excellent introduction. I need to get you to do that more often for me somewhere else. <laughs> I would love to. I would love to. I would love to. So, hey, man. Uh, so I, I want to get right into it. You know, obviously you have done a lot. We're going to get into uh, the, some of the recognition that you have uh, received over the last year from some pretty pretty notable um, publications. But, you know, with uh, with these conversations, and I found with myself and other entrepreneurs that throughout our lives, we have these moments that uh, when they happen, we may not realize that they lead us to what we're going to end up doing. But when we look back and, and we reflect, we're like, oh, wow, that thing kind of was a sign that I'm interested in this or that thing kind of put me in this direction. So prior to even your your Cornell University uh, journey, like I, I kind of just want to hear, you know, what your background, what you grew up doing, and if there were any moments that you can look back on, like, okay, it makes perfect sense. I'm doing what I'm doing now based off of what I was interested in back then. Yeah, um, well, you know, I would say that, you know, my family is from Ghana, West Africa. Um, entrepreneurship kind of runs through my family's, uh, you know, genes, I would say, on my mom's side especially, uh, my grandma actually happened to be one of the first people to uh, create a daycare program in Ghana, and actually the Queen of England came and visited her, and that kind of motivated my mom to uh, create her own business, so uh, I was born in Canada, when we came to the U.S., we came to Ithaca, New York, um, and my mom created a day spa downtown, which actually is still around in Ithaca, New York, called Alta Spa. Shout out to Alta Spa. Mm. And, um, you know, from an early age, my mom kind of, uh, you know, forced me and my little brother to go there every weekend, kind of work with her. And, you know, we were honestly with her from ground up from the point of her coming up with a name for her store to identifying a location, to buying equipment and all of that and kind of seeing her idea come to fruition. So that was pretty motivating. Um, and then I would say that, um, I remember vividly as a kid, um, yeah, around 13, wanting something. I don't know whether it was shoes or a jacket or something. And my mom was just like, it doesn't sound like you want a jacket. It sounds like you want a job. And mm. she gave me money to buy a, a riding mower. And I started, you know, going around and kind of, you know, going to neighbors and seeing, can I mow your lawn? Can I mow your lawn? And I remember just feeling, I don't know, this great sense of um, uh, satisfaction, you know, by you know, identifying a client, identifying their needs, serving that need and getting compensated for that and being in control of, you know, that. And so, you know, going from there through like high school and, and beyond, I always um, did little projects um, that were kind of entrepreneurial. I didn't really identify it as entrepreneurship formally. I just kind of, you know, considered it a hustle 
um, even when at Cornell, um, some of my mates, we over a course of a summer ran a bed and breakfast that we just happened wow. to be the house that we uh, lived in, but we kind of tricked it out. And, you know, for I think a parents weekend and things like that, we were a full service kind of uh, hospital, you know, hotel kind of for a weekend. Don't know if that was legal then, but, <laughs> you know, again, you got you to kind of hack your way to success. So it's kind of like things like that, that I think ultimately led me to that. I mean, right after school, went more formally into working in consulting for Ernst & Young and then specialty finance at uh, Wells. But there was always this interest within me to do something, you know, a bit more entrepreneurial. Mm. Yeah, and I, I love that because it sounds like, one, it sounds like your entrepreneurial uh, spirit was um, kind of encouraged through, throughout your life, but also it sounds like you identified a need for, for other people. So your entrepreneurial mindset was very, very selfless, very, you know, I, I want to serve other people and add value to other people's lives. And it, it perfectly makes sense, you know, doing what you're doing now. And, and we're going to get into that. But um, I'm, I'm always interested in what led people to choose the, the, the hotel school, hospitality management and administration at Cornell, because I, I know me personally, like when I thought of hotels, I was like hotel management. I'm, am I going to be like, am I going to be one of the bellhops? Am I going to work the front desk? Like what, like what else is there to, to hospitality management? And then, and, and then you talk to your classmates and you learn, oh, wow, there's all this stuff to it. So, so what led you to doing that? And like, how do you feel like that impacted your, your, your career as well? Well, I would say um, two things. I'm, I'm just cracking up because what you just said is, you know, my family's from Ghana, West Africa, as many, you know, West Africans, you know, experience, you know, their families are like, you have three choices. You're a doctor, a lawyer, <laughs> or an engineer. Yeah. And so, you know, going into my senior year of high school, um, I was actually looking at engineering programs and, um, you know, actually uh, my friend's father happened to be a dean at the hotel school and was just like, Habana, what is it that you want to do? And I said, I want to do aerospace engineering. And he's just like, well, what math class are you? And I'm just like, I'm in honors. And he's just like, you need to be in like the top AP classes to be like super competitive if you want to go to, um, you know, MIT or something like that. And um, he was just like, you seem to have strong interpersonal skills. Have you ever thought of, you know, hospitality in the, you know, the hotel school? And I said, well, I don't know anything about that. And he said, well, why don't you, you know, look more into it? Your mom's in hospitality. That's in the spa space. Like, you know, maybe you should do an internship at a hotel and see if you liked it. And I actually, there used to be a holiday in uh, Ithaca and I kind of worked there and I thought, you know, this is interesting. And maybe one day I could own a hotel or something like that. So that's what got me in there. But uh, the exact question you asked about, you know, what does that mean? When I told my dad I didn't want to be an aerospace engineer anymore and I wanted to go to the hotel school, he was like, well, no, what is wrong with you? <laughs> All this slick, you know, like, you, what, you want to fold beds? And that's like, honestly, just the the, the top yeah. of what the hotel school is. I mean, it's, it's really a whole, it's, it's, a, it's a business school. And I mean, yep. I can get into it later, but I mean, honestly, I went to Wharton and learned a lot of great things at Wharton, but the hotel school gave me such a great foundation a lot of the core things that we did there, I did again in business school. Like I didn't mm -hmm. learn, you know, uh, such a different, you know, curriculum when I was in business school, which I found surprising and just really speaks as a testament to how strong the hotel school is. But uh, right. yeah, no, I mean, it's very, very strong, strong program. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, there, I can, so many of my peers, and of course you have gone on to do incredible things. So, so sometimes I look back on it like, Hmm, maybe I should have done a bit more research on the hotel school and then been a hotelie myself, but you know, it's okay. No, no regrets here. <laughs> hey, hey, Cornell grads, regardless, you know, seem to yeah. do well. So yeah. you know, I think you're, you're, you're well on your way. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And so, um, I, I, obviously you went into the workforce and chose to, to, to attend Wharton just, uh, a, a little bit, a little bit later after you graduated. Um, and I, I'm always interested in people's grad school journeys. Cause I, I've talked to so many people, some people feel like they need to go right into grad school because they're already in that school mode. And some people want to go out and experience life and save money and go into the workforce a bit and become a bit more disciplined and mature as an adult and then go to grad school. So for you, like, would you say that was part of your decision making? or kind of was it like I know that I want to go to grad school eventually but I maybe just not right now like what was your mindset behind the decision making so honestly I would say that I think you know one's entry into grad school really depends on their area of focus so like I know that for engineers for example many engineers will do like a pardon me a fifth year and do like an MEng and go straight into that. And I think for them, that probably makes sense because, um, you know, to be competitive in that field, you probably need that immediately. Whereas in uh, business school, you know, most of business school are doing case studies and talking about your experience and adding your experience to the classroom environment. Um, and so if you've never experienced it and you're only going off of kind of other case studies that you've read about, it doesn't really add value to your, you know, your, your classmates and such. And so, um, you know, that is why I think, honestly, generally speaking, it's best to probably go to business school specifically a few years after school, whereas like I could see law school being, you know, making a lot of sense to go right after, you know, undergrad um, and, and whatnot. Um, and I guess what, kind of drove me to go to business school myself was um, I had gone and done consulting for a few years. I had done kind of specialty lending um, finance for a few years. Um, But what I really didn't know was, you know, what are the specific frameworks that you need to be able to um, run a business and go into entrepreneurship? And I kind of didn't want to figure it out in my mom's garage. I wanted to have some (laughs) type of, you know, formal arrangement and also I wanted to kind of diversify my 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 background going at the hotel school made great networks deep in the hospitality space um but you know as an entrepreneur maybe being a little bit more of a generalist one might say well why are you doing something in finance when you're you know or let's say consumer finance or business finance when your background is in hospitality so going to the um you know business school and going to a school like warden also I think gave me that um kind of credibility. Mm-hmm. 100%, 100%. Well, I mean, I think it's time to get right into it. You got the Patagonia on, it looks pretty good. I think, think I might need to get one of those. We're going to have to talk about me, me setting yeah. up an order for that. It's, it's cold, hey, man. Get, but... get a little Patagonia swag. Yeah, you know, because it's just getting cold now. I mean, it's all, it's, so it's, it's time. I might need that. But um, so through my research on you, man, I'm just going to list off some recognition that, that your company has, has received. Forbes, at the beginning of this month for, for your national launch, Modern Shipper, the financial brand, TechCrunch, on, on a macro level, cover is making a huge impact. And so my, but my interest is, 
what kind of led you to look at this particular issue with these with these gig economy workers and decide I want to make an impact on them and whether it was personal to you at, at all as well because I know for me I've I've driven Uber before and I it was only for like six months so I never really thought about everything that your your company is serving so I'm I'm curious about the the motivation to start this and also the work that goes into it because people see Forbes and they're like oh they're they're doing incredible things but the company lost launched two years ago and I'm sure there was a lot of work that that went into it prior to that so yeah I, I just want to hear the, the, the story of, of of cover sure um, well I'll try to do my best and you know if, if I'm you know dropping anything please you know, let me know <laughs> um, but in terms of kind of the genesis of cover. Um, after my former um, project, which provided uh, credit cards for international citizens uh, living in the U.S. without credit history, um, one of my investors, who happens to be one of the largest auto financers for uh, Uber drivers in Mexico City, reached out to me and said, hey, do you think you could do something like this in New York City? I told them, honestly, I have no idea. Let me do some tests and, and see. And when we did some initial um, tests, it seemed as though there was demand. Um, and that was because uh, drivers in New York City um, at its kind of peak were paying as much as $500 a week to rent a car that they would use for Uber. Um, but at the end of the day, would never own anything themselves. So for something like a Toyota Camry, over the course of a few years, they can be spending well over $40,000 and have nothing to call as their own asset. And so I thought, you know, that's pretty ridiculous. Let me see if there's a way to provide um, auto finance specialized for Uber drivers, getting them the licensing that's necessary in New York City, the registrations, the car, everything. And um, we started to pursue that for you know several months. And what we found pretty quickly was that one, people who are in the gig economy are in the gig economy because they want to have flexibility. They don't want to be locked into something that's going to have them paying for you know a large amount for two to three years. Um, the other, which was kind of a surprise, but uh, to me, I should say initially, but honestly, impacts over um, you know forty percent of the United States is um, people didn't have a lot of uh, individual liquidity. So while we deployed as much as twenty thousand dollars to get a vehicle ready for them to get on the road and start earning, we would only require a five hundred dollar down payment, or I say only, but that was a down payment. But for many people, they didn't have just five hundred at hand um, to put down. And so when I started to see hey, this is kind of a recurring issue, you know, with this population. Um, and then on top of that, I uh, saw, you know, there's alternative data points that we can evaluate, um, you know, to determine whether they can receive these funds. And also they're not able to get this funding from other reliable resources. I took $1,000 out of my pocket. I happened to be working in a building where Uber drivers kind of came in to get their licensing and you know, gave it out to 100, or sorry, to 10 drivers and to wow. see whether that money would come back. It did. And um, that was kind of the start of cover. And so we started working with drivers in New York City. Um, and really, you know, our goal at cover is to provide financial services to help them achieve their highest potential. Um, and we're starting that with the cover cash advance. And so what clients use this for is to really help them take care of small emergencies, like busting up a tire in a case of an Uber driver or help them really, and maybe you'd appreciate this, help smooth out the volatility within their daily earnings. Because yeah. if there happens to be a snowstorm or something like that, but you have a fixed expense like the rental um, expense for your car or the rent for your parking spot or something else related to your car, it could you know 
create the snowball effect to keep you off the road and really have an adverse impact on your quality of life. So that's kind of what, you know, got us, got us started. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Awesome. And for you, what's been one of the biggest challenges, but also what's been one of the most gratifying moments for you throughout this, this journey? Uh, so the challenges, given that uh, I think this is like a 30 minute program, I, I won't, I won't list off the many because every, <laughs> every, every corner there's something, but uh, you know, I could think of a few, but the thing that really, I would say motivates me on days where it's like really hard and, you know, I'm feeling, you know, a bit defeated or, you know, teams feeling a bit defeated is when we get unsolicited, um, you know, comments uh, and thank yous from some of our clients. You know, one of my favorites is um, on Christmas day, uh, a year or so ago, one of our clients um, who clearly had a, a few drinks and called and I was thinking I saw it coming through the call center I was wondering oh man what what happened you know something bad and he just called to say hey I just want to wish you at the cover team you know Merry Christmas you guys really helped me in a time when I really needed it um, this was you know so helpful um, you know he said I love you guys and you know, <laughs> it, 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 it was just you know just but he didn't have to call he didn't have to say those things and you know, it, it, it meant a lot to know that we're actually adding value. And I would say more recently um, with the, I believe, Hurricane Ida that came through New York, one of our clients' cars got flooded in, in New York City. And wow. I guess he was able to use our funds to help remediate that situation. And so he called in as well just to say, you know, I was you know lost in a really tough situation. And I really appreciate it how flexible you guys were with us. And so when I, you know, see those, you know, uh, it kind of helps me feel, you know, that, you know, we're doing something that, you know, is, is truly a value. No, no, hundred percent. On the challenge side, I guess, you know, there are constant challenges all over the place. I mean, we wish that we could serve everybody, but we can't, you know, unlike maybe a t-shirt, you know, website that can provide t-shirts to everybody, while we, you know, want to deploy as much capital as we can, we have to, you know, we have a fiduciary responsibility to deploy it safely, both for our end user as well as for the um, investors that are behind us. Um, you know, there, there's customer acquisition strategies. We're trying to always change and refine that. You know, you're always looking for new partners. Um, you got investor challenges sometimes, you know, there's, there's a, you know, there's even just personal challenges, like, you know, work-life balance. How do you, how do you manage that? You know, so, you know, there are quite a lot of, what a lot of things there, but, you know, having a good um, community of other founders to, you know, reach out to, I'm blessed to have a great family, you know, to support, uh, you know, me, you know, helps us go day by day. Yeah. No, hundred percent. And so I, I, I know I kind of jumped from Wharton all the way to cover, but as we mentioned in your intro, you know, you were the co-founder of Modern Land, president of Project X, advisor at Propertiva, and other roles that you mentioned. How do you feel like those experiences, uh, in addition to Cornell and Wharton, of course, leading up to you, you know, being the founder CEO of Cover? How do you feel like those those roles helped you, you know, develop your foundation or or you know, uh, boost your knowledge and just kind of made it such such a such a swift or smooth transition into doing what you're doing now. <laughs> well, I don't know if it was the smoothest of transitions, <laughs> but you know, I would say that um I've learned, you know, just a lot along the way just in terms of how to treat your customer, you know, financial, you know, analysis and, you know, underwriting from, you know, 
both my time at Ernst & Young and uh, Wells Fargo, learning how to treat your team members, how not to treat your team members. Um, I think something, as you said earlier in this uh, you know, discussion, you know, along the journey, there are many times where you're learning lessons where you don't even know you're learning those lessons and you apply it later. Um, you know, being a hospitality, you know, a hotelie and a hotelie for life, um, you know, one of the, uh, I guess, mantras that they kind of had us learn, at least when we were there, is kind of life is service. And so, you know, I always try to instill that type of, you know, um, politeness and, you know, proactiveness, you know, with my team when they're engaging with clients in terms of let's go and take that extra effort to make sure that we're addressing their needs and trying to provide them with the highest quality of service that we can. And so, um, you know, I would have never thought that, you know, walking in my first day of the hotel school that, you know, lessons that you learn while working in operations and hospitality can translate all the way to financial services or, you know, business financial services, but um, it does. <laughs> yeah, that definitely does. Like, it's like you said, like I said, like you really never realized what, how significant something in the moment could be in your life later on. Um, what is one moment, if, if it's ever happened, that you feel that you failed at something, but it ultimately benefited you in the long run? Sure. Um, let me think. And you're so kind to be like, is there only one time you feel like you failed in life? <laughs> man, it, man, that happens quite a lot. Um, what I would say, maybe one uh, one thing that I, I, I think I uh, didn't do a great job of, uh, but I learned a lot from it. And I think going forward, I'll continue um, to kind of learn and refine is, uh, building out your team is really important and making sure you take the time to, especially with co-founders, that is, um, to really understand what are their motivations? Why do they want to do this? Um, in one of my earlier ventures, I had the opportunity to work with a really smart individual. Um, however, it appears that our kind of long-term objectives and, and, and what was important to us were not directly aligned. And so we ultimately had to part ways. And I think uh, had we been a bit more transparent about what was important to us and maybe had we not let our pride and other things get in the way of allowing us to build the best product that we could have built, we could have probably done some really great things together. And so kind of on a go forward basis, when working with people to the best of my ability, I really try to understand what are their motivations? Why do they want to be a part of this, you know, project, this engagement? How can I align our interests if, if that's possible um, so that we can, you know, both feel um, that there's an equitable, uh, you know, positive result that comes out of it. And so that, that I would say was a, a personal failing where, you know, we, we could have done something great together um, and, you know, unfortunately, we weren't able to because of you know certain differences. Yeah, and and it happens, and it it, it can definitely be tough in in moments when you know you realize how capable both of you, but people just people just ultimately see different, have different visions, want different things, and it's it's something that I try not to take personally. So I hope you didn't you didn't take it personally as well because you're clearly still doing great for yourself. So. <laughs> not, not 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 too personally, but it's more like uh, you know life is very short, and you want to yeah. take 
you know, the best advantage of the opportunities are provided in front of you. And so, you know, okay. if, if just being transparent can help one do that, you know, I think it's worth taking that extra effort no, up front. Agreed, agreed. And so what's what's next? Like, what are some expansions per, perhaps that you'd like to do with Cover? Do you have any other ideas for side ventures? What's next for Kavana? <laughs> what's next for Kavana? Um, so, you know, right now we're in the process of, you know, doing our national launch. And so we are now kind of learning about the kind of different nuances that are related to the profiles of users in different markets. We're looking to further refine our customer acquisition strategy. Um, so really that's what's gonna take up our near-term focus. Uh, kind of in a mid to longer term, we're looking to find ways to use the data that we uh, aggregate from our clients to further help them you know, boost their earning potential. So you know, simple things as, the average driver doesn't know how they are performing compared to their near competitive set. And maybe if in, I happen to be in Long Island City, uh, New York right now, maybe the highest earning windows are between 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. and another time between 4 and 7. Well, many times drivers just kind of get on the app and just, you know, just drive. They don't necessarily know maybe in this area, Lyft is stronger or Instacart is stronger or DoorDash is stronger. And so, you know, over time, we would like to provide other resources, again, that really boost their earnings potential and really help them take advantage of things. I mean, an example of something that we were really excited about is last year, we partnered with a company, um, a Picnic Tax, to help our drivers for the first time be able to um, write off covers uh, service fee from their their business expenses and that put real dollars back into drivers pockets and so it's you know these are the type of things that we want to do to again enhance the quality of uh you know life that that these drivers have love that love that and you know uh that that, that quote you you mentioned that you know the, the hospitality school you know impress upon you life of service that's kept playing in my mind because at, at the core of what you're doing right now you're a human who is serving humans who's serving humans by, by being their Uber drivers and their DoorDash drivers. I just think that's so incredible that we can build these incredible platforms that benefit us, but also benefit other people who are benefiting other people. It, it's, it's this ripple effect where you toss the pebble in, into the river and it just keeps, keeps building out. Um, and I, you know, I, I think that's, that's so important, but you know, for you as a human doing everything that you do, Aside from work, you know, we, we've talked a lot about all, all your work stuff. What do you like to do for fun? What do you like to do to just maintain your peace and calmness as you're handling all this important stuff? Um, you know, I try to do my best when possible to, uh, you know, meet with family. Family means a lot to me. Um, you know, meet, make time for friends. Um, maybe a, a thing for us to talk about are some significant sacrifices that you make as an entrepreneur, um, because I've learned the hard way that, you know, you need to make time for things like family, like friends. So I try to do that. And then also not to be a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a billboard for this company, but, you know, I don't know, Peloton, riding the Peloton bike uh, for me <laughs> has just given me life through COVID because, you know, we've been locked indoors been hard to kind of go out and work out and you know just trying to get some exercise you look like a pretty buff person yourself so <laughs> yeah. uh, you know uh 
I, I, I literally just got off the, the bike, you know, an hour before we met and it just, just helps energize me. So, you know, those are the kind of things that I would say um, are really important to me, making time for friends and family and, you know, trying to get some type of physical activity and when I can. The Peloton's great. Trying to, like, <laughs> trying to look like you by the end of the day. Oh <laughs> my God. Stop it. Stop it. Uh, who, 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 who's your favorite, um, who's your favorite Peloton trainer? Oh man, I'm, 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 you know, part of Alex Toussaint's career. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I also like Miss Hannah Frankston. So, you know, those, mm. those are my, my go-to. Do you, do you ride? Yeah, yeah, I ride. Yep, yep, yep. I do, oh, uh, okay. I do Alex, Kendall Toole, uh, Two Days Tribe. I'm part of Two Days Tribe. Uh, <laughs> okay. You, you, you like, you like getting beat down. You know, I, one of my yes. close friends. Uh, who actually advises uh, us? She loves Tunde, but you know Tunde makes my arms want to fall off. And Tunde's tough. <laughs> She's tough. She's tough. But you know it pays off in the long run. So that's awesome. Actually, funny enough, my co-host who's not here, he works with Peloton. He's a segment producer there. So I'm, I'm sure oh. you two would you two would have just going going back and forth and nerded out over it. But uh, it's it's Peloton's <laughs> incredible. Like yeah, like you said, not to be a billboard for them, but it's. It's just so cool, and it's so easy. You just you wake up, get out of bed, snap in, and you're you're good to go for an hour. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, no, and and uh, again, not to go too deep into it, but talking about you know making time for you know friends and you know family, uh, sometimes even other people, my whether it's my friend community or even my uh, entrepreneur community, we'll get on the bike together, and like that's how we'll you know connect through those kind of connected sessions. So yeah. Incredible, incredible. All right, last things. I, I I don't want to take up too much of your time. I'm sure you got Zoom calls to get on and coffee meetings and all that. So you you've dropped a lot of gems throughout throughout this conversation. But what would what's your biggest piece of advice that you would give to entrepreneurs, whether they're interested in doing something similar to you or just trying to trying to get a business off the ground where they too are serving other people? Sure, um, I would think about it in uh, just three points. One. Uh, when you're thinking of an idea, make sure that the tan, tangible, addressable market, the, the size of whatever the opportunity that you're working on really uh, is large enough to make sense for you. And, and, and try to make sure that you at least note down the unit economics, because you might be really jazzed about an idea, but if nobody's really willing to pay for that service, or you need to sell a billion pieces of this just to make you know a hundred dollars or something like that it probably is not worthwhile um moving forward second i would say um especially in the college environment this is an amazing time to find uh a co-founder opportunity because you guys are young you guys don't have babies and children that you need to be taking care of and so you you know you're at a point in your life where you can take greater risk but when doing that make sure it's not just a hey we had a beer or coffee together and like we're both into it. It's really, really know who that founder is because honestly, it's like a marriage. It sounds funny, but it truly is. You really want to know, does this person have your back? Does they have your interests at heart? Are they really committed to the vision just as you are? And then last I would say is, and I continually learning to appreciate this more and more, time is your most valuable resource. More so than money, more so than anything else, you will not get that back and so if you are testing a concept um make sure you're constantly iterating make sure you're setting very clear milestones for yourself um so that you can you know make sure that you're actually making uh, progress 
because again, you, you just won't get that time back. And so, you know, really trying hard to, uh, you know, not dill devil and, 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 and focus on hitting those milestones. So those are the three things that at least that come to my mind. There we go. Hey, listeners, he, he left you with three gems on top of multiple gems throughout the entire conversation. So I uh, want to thank you so much for your time, Kavana. Um, congratulations to you on all your success. Um, you, it's, it's inspiring. As a, as a, I still, still consider myself a young alumni. I'm four years out, so I guess I'm still a young alumni. So it's inspiring to connect with with the alumni who are a little further along their journeys and just see everything that they're doing. So congrats to you and thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much. It's been a true pleasure. Uh, and I wish you the best in all that you do. And, you know, thank you for making Cordell so great. Oh, it's an honor. It's an honor. So, hey, we'll be back. As you've seen, we've had two two incredible guests so far, and we've got a slew of more incredible guests. So, hey, Fresh from the Hill listeners, whether you're long alumni, further along alumni, whoever you are, even if you're outside of Cornell's alumni network, thank you all for tuning in. And we will be back very soon. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Fresh from the Hill. Music for Fresh from the Hill was created by Kia Albertson Rogers, class of 2013. You can contact him at koa3 at cornell.edu. For more information about Cornell Young Alumni programs and how to stay involved, please visit alumni.cornell.edu slash youngalumni or visit our Facebook page at Cornell Young Alumni Programs.